This morning, we're in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And I have another confession to make. I have been, I have been going so long in my messages. So I have, these, uh, I have these two dogs fighting inside of me. And the one dog is my personality, which says, I want to prefer others and I want to make things easy for others and open the door for others. And so I want you to have a, just a short, easy message so it's not hard to listen to and you're the, um, the seat can only endure, no, no, the mind, <laughs> the heart can only absorb what the seat endures, right? And the seat can't endure real long. But then the other dog fighting inside of me on the other side is God's Word is really, really powerful and good and interesting. And Nehemiah chapter 8, um, so Ezra and Nehemiah, up until about a, a thousand years ago, was one book. Ezra and Nehemiah was one book. Um, and about a thousand years ago, it got separated, and there we go. And so we started in Nehemiah, and really you're supposed to start in Ezra. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra is, is pronounced in this chapter. And he is talking, he, he, uh, he reads the law to the people, and all of a sudden the people realize that, that in the law... There's this thing that they were supposed to do, and it was the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were supposed to observe it. So, so they observe it. And what Ezra does in bringing the people back into the land and establishing them back into the land, he does a lot of stuff that reminds all the Israelites of the Exodus. And so the day, that, the day that he leaves, the day that he inaugurates things, the dates of the calendar, it would be like if uh, you were going to... Uh, it would be like if Texas, let's make it something that's possible, if Texas was going to secede from the Union, they were going to leave, and they decided to do it and declare their independence on July 4th, right? That would be a statement. That would be a day. If you were an Israelite, a lot of what Ezra did, Ezra did those kinds of things. As they were coming back into the land and his, he was establishing things, Ezra did Exodus like things. And one of the things that we see in Nehemiah 8 is that they go, in some ways, they go back to the basics. They, they open the law, it's read to them, they're moved to tears, and their heart returns to God in many ways. But when they're moved to tears, Ezra says to them, don't grieve and don't mourn. Rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So as they go back to the basics and they realize who they really are before God, God doesn't want them to mourn and grieve, but given who they are before God, the, the difference, the disparity between where they want to be and where they are, where God is and where they are, God says, I love you. I love you. I want, I'm joyful. I'm joyful. In fact, in fact interpreters are, they, don't under, they don't know if the joy of the Lord is our strength. They don't know if that's the Lord's joy or if that's like our joy in the Lord. There's a whole group that believes it's the Lord's joy. And that word strength in the verse actually means refuge. So it could mean that the Lord's joy over us is our refuge, which is a very different understanding, which, of course, that's true too. Is it being taught from this passage? Well, not sure, but 
But that is true too, and perhaps it is. So I want you to imagine for a minute that you are deep in debt, like hopelessly lost in consumer debt. You cannot even make the minimum payments. There's just so much debt. And then your, your, your mortgage is upside down. Your car, you've got 8,000 more to pay on your car, and it's got 168,000 miles on it, and it's on its last leg. And, and, and your job has just been eliminated. You've been, it's been downsized, and you're no longer going to be employed after the end of the month. Pretty bleak picture. And then somebody comes along who's starting a business, and it's just exactly what you would love to be involved in. And they say, hey, you've got a lot of skills. I would love to hire you. In fact, in fact, I am supported and funded by this, this guy who's independently wealthy, and all my employees that I'm starting out, and you're going to be one of the six, we're going to take care of all your debt. We're going to pay your debt off. It doesn't matter what it is. And all of a sudden, your consumer debt is gone, your car is paid off, your house is paid off, you have no more payments, and you go to start the job. How are you going to feel on your first day at work? Pretty good, right? I mean, you're going to, a new lease on life. You're going to feel pretty good. Imagine, imagine if you're a student and you get hopelessly behind in your homework. You ever have these dreams that it's like, um, it's either November or it's April, and you know that you've had, adults, you've had these dreams, you know that you have a Tuesday, Thursday class in college, but you realize you haven't been attending it, and it's almost the end of the semester, and you realize you, you looked at the syllabus like on your first day, but you haven't looked at it in a couple months. Some of you might actually be there right now. It's almost April. I don't know. I hope not. I hope not. I had those dreams. You're hopelessly behind in your homework. And then all of a sudden, your professors or your teacher says, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm giving you a B plus. Don't worry about it. Just start today and everything in the past is taken care of. How would you feel? You'd feel, you'd feel pretty good. What, what, if you, what if you had feuds going on with people in your family and with your neighbors so that it was like no matter where, and at church, and no matter where you turned or where you went, there were people that were just disagreeing with you and angst and anger and frustration and bad glances. And then all of a sudden, God came along and says, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just gonna wave my magic wand and it's going to be different. And, and all of a sudden, all those people, they don't even know they were ever mad at you. In fact, they really like you. They're thrilled with you. And when you see them, they're like, they're happy and they're normal and everything's great. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't you be happy? Imagine this. And I wrote this, I wrote this part down. Imagine being lost and separated from God. Like you had no relationship with God. You're guilty and you're evil and you're facing an eternity in a horrible place called the lake of fire. Imagine that. You had no hope. Imagine that you were separated from light and life and love and hope and joy and peace. And you knew that when your miserable life on this earth was over, you would die 
and you would be alone, separated from anything good for all eternity. And then all of a sudden, God came along, and he said, I really like you. In fact, I love you. I'm willing to erase all of your sins. I'm willing to clear your debt. I'm willing to restore our relationship. You're no longer behind in everything. In fact, everything is paid for spiritually and in your relationship with me and in every other way for the rest of your life. How would you feel? Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, how do you feel? How do you feel knowing that you're never going to be lost and hopeless forever? You're never going to be long gone. In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, the people were reading the law, and all of a sudden they realized they were guilty. They had not been doing what the law said. And like sprinkled in this chapter and sprinkled in the message of Ezra was this hope that was still future, right? The Messiah was still future. He was yet to come. But it was sprinkled in there, but it, but it wasn't completely realized yet. But their faith in God was fine. Abraham, right, believed God, and he received righteousness for it. We're all saved the same way Abraham and every other person has been saved, through our faith, through our belief in God. But these folks here, they weren't so sure. And Ezra tells them, hey, let's go back to the basics. God loves you. God cares about you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And again, in this passage, we see this Feast of, ta- feast of Tabernacles. It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tents. And we're going to look at that at the end. So I'm going to read this passage, um, Nehemiah chapter 8. And when I study, I put earbuds in my ears because I'm ADD, and the music helps me to focus. And I thought, what if I read Nehemiah chapter 8 and we put music behind it? So I found some good Jewish music, and I'm going to put the music. In fact, Paul's going to put the music behind this. And maybe music sometimes helps our minds to work differently, and the message of God's Word might come into my head and your head a little differently. So you can follow on the screens. We're just going to read Nehemiah chapter 8. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest, he brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, he stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood six Jewish guys, probably six Levites. And on his left were seven Levites. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, truth, truth. 
Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, these guys, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to your Lord, to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from the exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So they found God's law, they were moved to tears, and Ezra said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. These people were convicted. They were convicted that they had not been following and doing what God wanted them to do. And instead of berating the people and condemning them, and calling down more judgment on them. Here they'd been back in the land. They'd been back in the land for a while. They really hadn't been paying attention to the temple worship. They hadn't been paying attention to the the, uh, security of Jerusalem. And now Nehemiah comes back. He gets them to build the wall. The wall is finished, by the way, at this point. It's not been dedicated yet, but it's finished. And God is calling them back through grace and through love not through judgment. So what is this Feast of Tabernacles? What is this Feast of Temporary Shelters? If you go back in Leviticus chapter 23, they've come out of the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt and through the wilderness. And Moses says this in verse 41, 
celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. Happens in September, end of September, part of October. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This was one of those weeks, one of those holiday weeks, kind of like we have in the fall. We have Thanksgiving, and then there's Christmas and New Year's, and that's kind of our, our big holiday time. This was their big holiday time. This was the seventh of their seven feasts. It came five days after it started, five days after the Day of Atonement, which is also called Yom Kippur, where the high priest would go into the, tabern- into the Holy of Holies and offer an offering and blood on the altar for the sins of the people. Five days later, it was the, the Feast of Tabernacles. When I was in uh, college, I needed a job. It was my freshman year. And I looked on the job board at the end of the, uh, uh, the third floor, and I found this job raking leaves for this family. So I thought, well, yep, that's a good job. And I, I just wanted, you know, ad hoc jobs, not something that was every week at that point. And so I went to this family, and it turned out to be a Jewish family. They had a really nice home, very nice uh, lawn, large lawn, and it was fall, and the leaves were coming down. And as I was in the backyard, I noticed this weird, like, thing with a tarp and, like, poles and stuff, and it, it just really looked out of place in this really nice, on this really nice property. And somehow, I don't remember how I started the conversation, but, but somehow I talked to them about it. And, well, it was their, it was their temporary shelter. And they would, they would sleep out under it at night. It was pretty cold. And I'm like, I, you know, I didn't quite get it. Now, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't aware of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles. But they did this to commemorate when they came out of Egypt... And they had, to, they had to be sheltered under temporary shelters as they traveled through the wilderness. Every, they'd, pitch the, they'd pitch their tents. You know, they had, the, they had the tabernacle that traveled around with them. But they also had their temporary homes that traveled around. And it's to remind the Jewish people of the exodus and of the traveling through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. You get to the New Testament... And you get particularly in the, in the book, in the, gospel of, in the Gospels, period, but Mark and John, and you see Jesus is coming. Jesus is the second exodus, the true exodus, the fulfillment of the exodus, where we are brought out of sin, we're brought out of Egypt, and we're brought to a land that's so much better. And the life of Jesus was the, the true exodus, where he delivers his people. He delivers his people from bondage and from slavery. And so this, this Feast of Weeks reminded the people of the past, but they at that time were looking ahead. And, uh, you know, the Jewish families that still observe that, unfortunately, so many of them, they, they, don't, they don't believe in the Messiah. Now, there are Messianic Jews, but there are those who are still, they're looking they're, look, they're looking back at Exodus, but they don't realize that the fulfillment of Exodus has already come. It hasn't come and gone, but it's come and still is, right? It has come and stayed. So today we celebrate the Lord's table. It's also called communion, the Lord's Supper. And we get to do it together. 
And I remember as a kid, so often, communion was such a solemn, somber, serious, sad time. And I always thought, why is this so sad? This is like a joy. This is a a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing. And uh, so many of the leaders of my church were sad and somber. So today, we can celebrate communion with joy. And in fact, in Luke chapter 22, here's what Jesus said. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Jesus was looking back at the Exodus and then looking back at the Passover lamb and they were celebrating Passover together and the fulfillment of the Paschal lamb was Jesus himself. So as he's taking the, the final Passover with his disciples, he's about to go and offer himself for the sins of the world. The final sacrifice, the last lamb, The Bible is beautiful. It's beautiful. The more you study it, the deeper you get, the more connections you make, the more hyperlinks you see from the New Testament back to the Old Testament, the more amazing it gets. No way in the world a bunch of guys got together and wrote this. I mean, it's, it's supernatural. So we're going to celebrate communion this morning And we're going to do it with joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. We give you thanks as we take this bread and this juice, Lord. In just a few moments, we're reminded of what you did for us on the cross, your body and your blood. And maybe there's someone in here this morning who's never placed their faith in Jesus before. And when you take communion, you're celebrating the very things that we believe in about Jesus, the Jesus we believe in. We're celebrating those things, the suffering and the sacrifice. So maybe just this morning you can say to the Lord, Lord, I open my heart to receive you. I submit myself to you as the only one who can save me from my sins and make me new and give me life. Lord Jesus, I believe not just in you, but I believe you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that each week we can hear from your word, not just here, but throughout the week. We can hear the word of God preached from wherever, whenever. We give you thanks for that. We never want to take your word for granted. We always want to be moved by it. And we believe it, God. In Jesus' name, amen.